Hello, and thank you for tuning in to our Why We Are Vegan podcast interview series entitled Why We Are Vegan. Each week, I'll be posting one to two interviews I've had with inspirational vegans around the world who are walking their talk. Each of my guests share their personal vegan journey and insights they've gathered along the way. You are about to listen to my interview with Karen Snook. Karen has devoted her life to improving the quality of life for all sentient beings through her Take Action Compassion, From the Heart Teaching, and Walking Her Talk 24-7. Karen began her vegan journey 11 years ago. Karen, tell us a little bit about yourself personally. Let's see here. I'm becoming ancient, (laughs) so I have several decades behind me. Um, I live in Los Angeles. I'm married to a lovely man named Nathan for the last, what, oh my gosh now, 25 years. I own a home that's completely covered in animals, but we keep it very clean. We have cats and dogs and chickens and fish and a turtle and um, rabbits now too. Um, And that's just because I've been an animal lover since as far as back as I can remember. Mm -hmm. What do you currently do professionally? Professionally, I am the executive director of Kindred Spirits Care Farm, which is a vegan farmed animal sanctuary and gardens that we run currently at a um, high school for at-risk kids here in Los Angeles. And what are your aspirations for your future? Oh, my future, real simple. I just (laughs) want to keep running Kindred Spirits Care Farm until I drop. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) If you were in a room filled with a dozen kindergartners... How would you share with them why you are vegan in your own words as if speaking with them? I would probably just talk to them about the reason I'm vegan is because I really love animals and I really love this planet. And I want everyone to understand that we are all on this planet together with the animals and the plants and the bugs. And we're all we're all one big family and we should respect and love each other. And right now we don't. But being vegan is my best way of trying to to accomplish that as best I can. What made you decide to become vegan? What tipped the scale for you to go all in? Well, I was vegetarian for really decades before I became vegan. I became vegetarian back when I was in high school because someone educated me. Someone said, hey, here's here's the reality behind eating meat. It's not good for the environment. It's not good for your body. It's certainly not good for animals. It's just... It's it's not a healthy thing for anybody, and I, I went be, I went vegetarian in one day. But I was a high schooler, and I didn't know much. I only knew what this one person had had educated me about. And I was vegetarian for a long time, and then suddenly in 2008, someone ed- ed- educated me about the dairy industry and told me how horrific it was and how the cows have to give birth before they can can give milk, and the babies are taken away and sold for veal and or or as replacement milk machines, you know, for their mothers and how the chicken industry crammed so many little chickens into tiny, horrible, toxic warehouses. And I just didn't want to be a part of any of that. None of that resonates with my values. And once I got educated, I just said, enough said, that's, that's all I need to know. And I went vegan the next day. What does being vegan mean to you personally? I am trying to do the best that I can to, to, not cause violence and harm and horror in in this world. I love this planet. I love the mountains and I love the trees and the water and the all the other beings that we share this incredible planet with. And I want all of us to live with, in harmony to the best that I possibly can. And that's what I'm trying to do. So I, I, 
you can't you can't eat meat or drink dairy or eat eggs or any of those things and um and be doing your best you can't be an environmentalist and participate in any of those industries on any level so being vegan is sort of the minimum minimum first step to trying to help this planet recover balance please share how you continue to benefit from being vegan physically emotionally and spiritually being vegan is sort of first step so spiritually it's part of living in integrity because if you if you aren't vegan then some part of you and and some part of you even knows this which is why there's so much rage against vegans because i think people somewhere in their in deepest darkest selves know that slaughtering animals is violence and horror and really if they thought about it if they had to do it themselves they wouldn't and if they had to if they had to steal babies from their mothers they wouldn't and if they had to jam hundreds and thousands of animals into a tiny dark shed living in their own filth for weeks on end they wouldn't do it and so they know that there's something wrong with that so spiritually it's the first thing you you have to do to sort of feel like okay at least I'm doing no harm or as little harm as I can possibly do and live in this world the way that we've created it right now. And in terms of health, um, like I said, I'm, I'm becoming ancient and I'm watching people who are my age um, losing their ability to see. I still don't need glasses. Uh, 60 years old, I don't need glasses. I don't need a walker. I don't need a cane. I can still jump up from the ground if I need to to avoid a cow. <laughs> I, can, <laughs> I can still crouch down on the ground and get a great photograph of a chicken. Um, I, I can still do pretty much everything I could do when I was 20. Uh, and a lot of 60-year-olds I know can't. And um, so it just, you know, personally, it makes me feel like I ha- I'm living with as much integrity as I can muster. Just a- on, on all levels, it's a benefit. And I feel like, okay, I'm, I'm adding as little harm to this planet as I can. And with my advocacy, I, uh, I'm hoping to help even more than just my own personal, you know, uh, activities. Mm-hmm. How do you define a vegan lifestyle? For me, vegan lifestyle is, well, I, mean, I, I follow the, the original definition of veganism pretty closely, and that is to do, to, to cause as little harm as, as you can to all other sentient beings, knowing that, yes, with agriculture, there will be some insects killed. It's just, you can't not, there is going to be some amount of harm, but I do the absolute minimum that I can. So I don't eat the flesh of other beings. I don't eat their secretions. I don't wear their skin or their fur or their feathers. I don't fish. I don't do anything that I think um, that I can recognize as causing harm um, to the degree that I can, knowing that just by wearing cotton, I know that cotton was harvested and some number of bugs were killed in the harvesting process. There's no perfection. Um, So I, I do everything I possibly can to cause as little harm as possible. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about your vegan lifestyle, a week in the life of Karen. Oh, my. It's pretty boring. <laughs> I have, my lifestyle is pretty much um, I'm completely devoted to my work, which is running Kindred Spirits Care Farm, which is sort of a social justice and animal advocacy or actually planetary advocacy um, organization. Mm-hmm. So every morning I get up and I, I 
you know, I check my emails and all of my various communications to make sure that I, I'm staying on top of what needs to get done on that level. And then I usually have a certain amount of animal care involved in any given day, whether it's just my own personal animals or animals over at the farm that need to be tended to or um, right now it, I, there's a couple of different places where I'm caring for animals. Um, and then I come back and I'm working on projects for the organization and, um, you know, it, around dinner time, I go and feed all the animals again. And sometimes I spend a good portion of time scooping poop, which is also an important <laughs> part of animal care. I kind of do, I'm a jack of all trades in the animal universe. And sometimes it's meds. Like lately I've been driving uh, six hours a day to give um, three injections a day to a, an ailing goat who's living 20 minutes or actually 20 minutes, more like 45 minutes away Um each way. So I drive there, I give him his injection, I drive home. I work for a little while, I drive back, I give him his injection, I drive home. <laughs> I just do whatever needs to be done to make sure that I've done the best that I can for everybody who's in my care. And that's kind of every day. It's like, who needs what? And your day goes from what to what? An average day. What time are you up starting this? And what time do you finally get to go to bed? <laughs> Um, well, I'm a person who doesn't do well if I don't get eight hours of sleep. I, I really get not just cranky, but stupid. So I make sure I get eight hours of sleep because I know some people who run sanctuaries don't. But I'm, I'm not doing anyone any favors if I'm sleep deprived because my efficiency goes way down. Mm -hmm. So I get up around four thirty, five o'clock in the morning and do my work until about eight thirty, nine o'clock at night. Um, when I'm usually exhausted and I fall down into my bed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. What is most important to you about living a vegan lifestyle? Oh, gosh, the most important thing. Well, there are so many attributes to living a vegan lifestyle. I mean, the minimum, of course, is living in integrity, because I don't think I could stand myself if I wasn't at least trying to live in integrity. Like anybody, I have lived outside of integrity, and it in aspects of my life at certain times in my life and I really hated it it felt so horrible to feel like I was living with lies and living with you know, lying to myself or lying to others and I just really was so utterly uncomfortable so that's that's the most important thing for me I think but there's so many other things I mean just there's the minimum of my own personal lifestyle but I also am trying to help others also achieve the same kind of comfort level and peace in their own minds, their own hearts, by also living in integrity and doing as little violence as possible. Because I work with a lot of at-risk kids, and I see, I see sort of the, the breaks in their own psychology and the breaks in their own hearts and minds. Where you know, if you are living a, a life of, of of where you inflict a violence on others, you can't be at peace. And I want all of, I want everyone to, to have a sense of being in peace and balance. And so I want to share that as much as I possibly can in a way that people can benefit from it. Because sometimes, you know, people try to share that and it comes off as being, you know, holier than thou or, or you know, superior or that sort of thing. And that doesn't help anybody. That just makes people feel defensive and upset. So it's, it's walking a fine line, but mm -hmm. that's part of my journey. As far as what Kindred Spirits Care Farm does. We are currently working at, and have for the last six years, at a high, a high school for at-risk kids. It's a public high school in Los Angeles. And at this school is a one-acre vegan 
uh, care farm. And what I mean by that is we actually have rescued farm animals living at the farm, at the school, year-round, and will for the rest of their natural lives. So three-quarters of an acre has alpacas and sheep and goats and um, turkeys and geese and pigs and chickens and rabbits and other creatures I can't remember right now. <laughs> um, but they're all rescued. And then there's also a quarter acre of um, permaculture-inspired organic veggie gardens. So not only are we teaching these kids who not to eat and how to fall in love and bond with these animals that mostly people think of as just objects and products, but we're also teaching them what they should be eating why they should be eating it, and how they can grow it for themselves, even if they don't have a lot of money, can't go to some fancy organic you know, grocery store. They can, they can plant tomatoes and peppers and cilantro and other kinds of delicious things that, that resonate with their culture, even in a small amount of space, and feed themselves and their families much better than they currently do for almost no money. So this is a social like I said before, it's a social justice organization. So we are, we are sort of going behind the backs of the, of the dominant culture and teaching these kids to be more self-reliant and to understand how our culture affects them, how our culture um, kind of keeps them in a box and how they can kind of help break themselves out of that box. So they understand the rules behind the rules and and how those rules affect them and how they can work those rules to their benefit rather than just sort of being affected by them. So we teach them about science. We teach them the requirements of the academic world in terms of, you know, we teach them chemistry and we teach them soil science and plant science, but we also teach them why and how this benefits them on a practical level. And um, as far as themselves and their children and their own health and, and how some of the decisions that got them into this continuation of high school probably are results of some of the things they feed themselves because they are low income and they don't have access to proper foods. They, they spend their money on cheap, tasty, convenient foods that are hyper-processed, hyper-packaged, and not good for their minds, not good for their brains, not good mm -hmm. for their 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 health and they make decisions based on minds that are, you know, polluted with sugar and, and various other preservatives and whatnot. So if they can get themselves a little bit off of those things, they can make better decisions. They can do better in school. They can get better jobs. They can succeed better in their lives. Um, as well as the very important work with other sentient beings, working with the animals, people kind of don't understand how important these animals are. People kind of go, oh yes, gardening in schools is a goodness. That, that's kind of well accepted now. Um, but people don't quite understand how critically important it is to work with other sentient beings who are not like us, mm -hmm. who we don't normally get to meet as individuals. People think of chickens and they think of chicken as a product that they would go and buy in the store to eat. But you meet a chicken and you hold a chicken and, and you spend time with a chicken and they jump in your lap and, you know, and you feel their feathers between your fingers. It's like, oh my goodness, this is someone who has a personality, who has likes and dislikes and they they, you know, they are funny and they are, they have their own sense of humor and they love me or they don't love me or they, they love their friend, the other chicken in their, in their pen. And they think that they love romaine, but they don't really like this, this tangerine that I get. It just <laughs> all these different things like, oh my goodness, they really are individuals because 
because you know Marcus loves romaine, but Philip hates it. Philip really wants bugs, and Marcus <laughs> thinks that bugs are kind of scary, and they're all different. That they're individuals; they truly are. And the pig, of course, you know, you rub on the pig for a little bit, he flops over in his side and demands a belly rub it, and will listen to your troubles all day long as long as you sit with him in kindness and gentleness. And once you've fallen in love with them, it's so much more difficult to consider doing violence to them or their kind. Mm -hmm. And and that's just one aspect. There's also the aspect of the incredible healing these these animals can give to these kids, and probably all kids, um, because they will listen to you. And they will never, ever judge you. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, you can go out onto the the farm when you're having a bad day or something is really bothering you. And you can sit with whoever your favorite animal is and tell them whatever your problem is. And they won't say, oh, my God, how did you do that? Or, oh, you're such a loser. Or why don't you have a better hairstyle? None of those things will ever happen when you sit with that animal and talk with them or just commune with them in whatever way you're communing. And that's so incredible, incredibly healing, especially for kids who are dealing with the, the kind of nut, nuttiness that urban life can offer kids. I mean, the, the hormones and the anxiety and the social, you know, like the social awkwardness that happens and, um, and the fears that they work with on a, on a regular basis with gangs and drugs and pressures and sex and just all the things that they're trying to deal with and survive in this time in their other lives. Mm-hmm. These animals are incredibly beneficial to them. And they also are beneficial in ways that people don't even articulate. Like one of the things I talk about a lot that never really gets articulated is all these animals come from abuse and abandonment and neglect. And a lot of these kids have too. But these kids, these animals are now living a fantastic life where they are respected and loved and cherished. And the, the animals aren't any different from the animals they always were. So this, the, the, the message underneath that is, you know, just because you were treated poorly, just because people disrespected you or people didn't give you what you needed, people who should have, they doesn't mean you deserved it. Doesn't mean that you're a bad person or that, you know, or that, you know, your past does not equal your future. Just because you were treated poorly in the past does not mean that you will always be treated poorly. You definitely have opportunities to get out of that environment and build a new life where you are treated with respect and love and are cherished. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge message for these kids who a lot of times are coming from environments where, you know, they are not are cherished mm-hmm. and they deserve to be cherished. And it's possible. And that's a, a huge message because without hope for a better future, why work towards it? Yep. I think as in any relationship with an animal, um, at any real relationship of any kind, really, I mean, it doesn't even have to be an animal. It could mm-hmm. be a tree. But as with any r- real relationship, there is benefit to both involved as long as there's respect um, between both parties. The There's healing. And so these animals come in and they have come in from bad environments, but these kids have also come in, they've come in a very many times from a bad environment. And so each heals the other. Mm-hmm. So the presence of the animals and relationship with the animals heals the kids, but also being with the kids helps heal the animals. The animals realize that human beings aren't horrible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe they've been treated really poorly. Maybe they've been abandoned in a field and no one cared for them. And now they are in this 
in this field. They are in this sanctuary and the, the kids love them and the kids sit with them and the kids feed them and the kids, you know, treat them with respect and that heals the animals. And again, it's, it's, it's part of learning for both the animals and the kids because the, the teachers and kindred spirits care farm model correct behavior because mm-hmm. sometimes the kids come in and they're they they haven't learned respect for other sentient beings they haven't learned respect for themselves they haven't learned that everyone deserves respect and that respect is is the only respect is tolerated they will not um, the teachers and those in authority will not tolerate abuse or violence towards anyone human or or animal or even the 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 earth itself in the sanctuary zone so so kids are, you know, it's like so kids who have never maybe known respect or 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 experienced it being given to them or experienced giving it to someone else starts to have respect reinforced in their lives. And that's also incredibly healing. It's like, oh my goodness, this is what being respected feels like. Mm-hmm. And this is what giving respect feels like. And I like it. I like giving respect. And I like I like how others respond when I give them respect. And it's it all it's all circular. It's all circular, mm-hmm. and it's not just like I say. It's not just the animals. It's also the environment. It's the earth. It's the it's the trees. When you respect the earth and you treat it well, it treats you well by giving you plants and health and um, nutrition that you can't get from earth that's been destroyed with chemicals. It's 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 this whole amazing environment has synergies that go so far beyond just a simple linear concept. Mm -hmm. What do you wish more people understood about the benefits of being vegan or about living a vegan lifestyle in general? You know, the primary resentment and and fear I I find from most um, non uh, uh, not yet vegans Mm -hmm. is they're terrified that they're going to be denied things that they love. They're going to be denied convenience. They're going to be denied flavors and tastes that they, you know, know and love and cherish comfort foods that they depend on when they are not feeling so happy. They think it's going to be a life of restriction. Oh, I'm not going to get this or that or the other things, the things that I like and want in my life. And I think that people really need to understand that none of that is true. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was true. And that's the thing. Maybe it was true. Back when I became vegan or vegetarian 40 years ago, there weren't very many con- convenient vegan foods that were tasty. There were a lot of, a lot of, not a lot of vegan options that were, that were out there that were delicious. And, you know, if you wanted macaroni and cheese, you just couldn't find a good vegan version of it. If you wanted, um, you know, uh, beef stroganoff or whatever it is that people find as their their cultural comfort food. You couldn't find it in a vegan version, but now everything is available vegan versions and they're delicious. And a lot of times they're better than the non-vegan versions. Mm-hmm. I always find it particularly funny when you when you have a um when you hear that a vegan version of something has now won a competition over non-vegan versions of the same, you know, comfort food. You know, chili is a famous one or 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 cakes or pies or even meat pies, their vegan versions are winning are winning those competitions because people are doing fabulous jobs of transforming those meat versions into vegan versions. And I wish I wish you know meat eaters and people who are still eating those things would just be a little bit more open to giving it a try, mm-hmm. the, the vegan versions. I think they'd be very pleasantly surprised. Yep. 
Is there anything you wish more people would have a conversation about around veganism? It's so hard to know because I think my journey to veganism was was kind of really simple. <laughs> <laughs> I was already so dedicated, and I I mean I've loved animals since I was a teen, teeny tiny creature, and so I always wanted to do right by them. I I always found animals to be better friends for me than than most human beings. And so I was already dedicated. So all I needed was a nudge. All I needed was like a little bit of like, Hey, Karen, you know, that hurts animals and you shouldn't do it. And I went, Oh, okay, gosh, I didn't know. And I would change my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I think, I think people are a lot more afraid of changing lifestyle than I was. I didn't have a problem with it. So for me, I may not be, uh, my journey may not be classic and I may not have a lot of insights into other people's journeys and what they need to hear or experience to help them along the path. Um, because it was so easy for me. I mean, once I, I learned something, I was, I was different the next day. It, it didn't take me, you know, a long transition time. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I may not be able to answer that question with any insight. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely fine. <laughs> when you hear excuses from someone about why they couldn't go vegan, do you feel you're able to change their perspective with what you know? Wow, that's a really hard one for me because when I hear excuses, it's really hard for me to um, empathize because I, I was never one who like went for the excuse, excuses route. When I got education, when I learned something new, I, I changed immediately. So I wasn't, I didn't spend a lot of time going, but I need this or I want that or but I could never give up cheese or any of those things that, that never occurred to me. So again, it's, it's tough for me because I, I don't, I haven't experienced the getting over my excuses part of my journey. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and when I hear excuses, I'm always like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, really? You know that you're causing horror, but you can't give up cheese? I don't even know how to talk to you. <laughs> so I'm not really, so that's one of the reasons that I haven't chosen to be on the front lines as far as, you know, starting communications or starting conversations with meat eaters and non-vegans. I mean, some people are really good at that, you know, and they, they can enter into conversations and they throw out facts and they can get behind the excuses and they talk about those things. For me, my advocacy comes in having people fall in love with animals mm-hmm. because I, I feel like once you know them as sentient beings, as individuals, it's the excuses have to drop away because once you love a pig, how can you make excuses to cause violence to them? Mm-hmm. Because I mean, at that point, the, the, the gap between what you say and what you feel is so huge that you just can't, you can't bridge that gap with an excuse anymore. And the excuse falls into the chasm of ridiculous. And you have to close that gap with your actions and say, no, can't cause violence to those I love. I can't mm-hmm. do it. That's not possible for me anymore. So that's where my advocacy comes is trying to get people to fall in love and use that love to change their behavior versus trying to use logic and arguments. Cause I just, um, I, I fail at that. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about mainstream coverage of animal cruelty, environmental concerns and the like via social media and news outlets? I think they don't do it. I don't think they cover it at all. I, the, 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 the dominant culture is, is pinned up 
and supported by those who uh, benefit off of the backs of animals and the lives of animals. And so they have no financial gain to cover this and to convince people to stop doing that because those who are in power don't want people to stop. Mm-hmm. So those who are in power feed the, the, the media and don't, don't want them to cover these things. Otherwise, it would be what a story it would be like. They'd be covering, they'd be covering slaughterhouses and animal abuse like crazy because what a story. I mean, it's shocking. It's everything that news media would love. It's shocking. It's current. It affects all of our lives, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, but you know, they're being paid not to cover that. Um, and so they don't. The social media does it sometimes, but again, I have issues with people who show me, who, who surprise me with shocking videos because mm-hmm. um, I don't need to see those videos. And I mean, I even have beloved friends who, who think that it really is important that everyone and capital E, everyone <laughs> needs to see these shocking videos. And I, I fight them every time because some people do need to see shocking videos. I am not one of those people. Mm-hmm. I see a shocking video and I am actually damaged by it. I will have mm-hmm. nightmares. I will cry. I will I will lose hope. I will be defeated before I start when I see those things because they hurt me so much. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't actually serve everyone to see shocking videos. So for me, it's like, you know, have, you know, for me, the bottom line to everything I would do is about respect. Mm-hmm. Respect for a planet, respect for animals, respect for other sentient beings, respect for each other. And I think forcing me to see shocking videos is disrespectful. Mm-hmm. You're you're damaging me. You're taking advantage of surprising me to hurt me in a way that is totally and utterly unnecessary. And I know I'm not alone in that. I know there are other people who are like me that it's damaging and not helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, it's a tough, that's a tough one. It's like, okay, but there are people who need it and they don't want it either, but they need it because it's so easy for them to like, just avoid, they are in denial and denial is easy and comfortable and um, they want to stay there. Thank you very much. And they want to make sure their children stay there too, mm-hmm. because it's the easy route. What questions would you pose to the mainstream? to move the conversation to what you feel is most important to understand about the global benefits of veganism? Well, the mainstream, mainstream world is always dominated by profit. It's always dominated by those who are making a lot of money. So, I mean, if you want, if you want the world to change, you have to figure out where the flow of money is going and change the flow of money. And that's actually happening, which is one of my favorite things in the whole universe right now is that the flow of money is actually starting to flow in to the vegan world. I mean, you have Beyond Meat and you have the Impossible Burgers and you have things that are, um, you know, vegan foods. I mean, I'm hearing, I'm hearing that, you know, because vegans have buying power and, and the, the, you know, the mainstream world is realizing that vegans have buying power, they're starting to cater a little bit to vegans. Mm-hmm. And as non-vegans are also becoming more and more willing to try vegan food and eat vegan food and realize that vegan food is actually delicious and just as satisfying as non-vegan food and more earth-friendly than non-vegan food, mm-hmm. I can only see this growing. And as corporations realize that the money is starting to flow in that direction, they will start to flow because they're, they're 
you know, our, our world runs on profit. We are a capitalistic society. And as they see where the money goes, that's where they'll go too. They're not about values. They're about profit. How do you feel about the use of self-identifiers such as smegan, partially vegan, flexitarian, and the like? <laughs> I think I think they're really cute. <laughs> I, think, I think all those all those identifiers like, like why I'm not a box person. I really think it's ridiculous for the most part to put people in boxes, but it makes them feel better. It makes them feel like I have I have a um I have a place on the on the 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 you know somewhere on this gray scale between horrible person and good person. I'm I'm somewhere in the middle and here I got a name for myself now. And but every single one of those names really says um you know, I'm not really actually making a commitment to nonviolence. I'm not really making a, a commitment to integrity. I'm not really making a commitment to other sentient beings or this planet. But, you know, hey, give me kudos for doing something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mostly I kind of go, that's that's nice, I guess. <laughs> but, um, you know, it'd be really great if you actually uh, were vegan. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about the phrase plant-based being used today by companies of all kinds for meals, textiles, home goods, accessories, personal care, and other products that are not in fact vegan? It's kind of a long, plant-based is kind of like, you know, you're 90% vegan people. It's like, well, I'm 90% vegan. Um, So it's kind of just along those same lines as words like that. It means, for me, it means I'm trying, but I'm not there yet. Mm-hmm. And I want to get I want to get as much you know sort of sort of social leverage as I can for going as far as I have, without going all the way. So I'm trying to milk this as much as possible, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically. What vegans do you respect and keep tabs on? I don't really follow vegans. I'm so busy doing my own work that I don't. Um, I don't really follow anybody. I don't have. I, I'm not a person who really goes for heroes or mentors. I've always been a very independent individual. I think my own thoughts and I do as the best job I can given what I can perceive. I'm happy to be educated by anyone. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a sense of like, oh, this person I want to emulate or this person has, you know, uh, the right way or the wrong way. And I, I so often find that those people we put on pedestals, um, you know, we, we put them on pedestals for a while and then we knock them down and vilify them. And I just find that whole activity uh, um, unpleasant. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm always looking for education any way I can get it. So I'm always reading anyone who's got something to say about concepts I care about, in, in particular these days, animal care mm-hmm. <laughs> and veterinary concepts and, you know, diseases and whatnot. So I can do the best job I can possibly do for all the animals in my care. But um, but I don't really because I've already chosen. I already have very committed to my form of activism. I don't um, I don't feel a lot of need to follow other people's and their activism. I figure we're all doing the best that we can, and I think that there's room and a need for all types of activism. So I'm like, bravo, do it, go for it, do the best you can, and I'll be over here doing the best I can. Mm-hmm. What's the most difficult decision along your vegan journey that you've had to make? This has nothing to do with being vegan, really. But in my vegan journey, there was a point at which I had to decide going, 
between being an employee for a vegan company and starting my own organization. And that was terrifying for me because I've always been an employee. Mm-hmm. You know, I always had that um, uh, uh, sort of, uh, 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 what do you call it, a support system. You know, they did the human resources work. They handled the payroll. They handled the fundraising. They handled the whatever. And I just did the best job that I could to support that organization. And um that's kind of where I thought I was heading in my vegan activism too, was, okay, I'll work, I'll work for a a good vegan activist company and, um, and I'll do a great job for them. And together we'll, we'll make some real good things happen. And, Mm -hmm. um, at a certain point I sort of realized that my vision was different from anybody else's. And, and frankly, I thought I could do a better job than, than the people I was seeing, um, do, do the ones who were doing the closest work to what I, I was trying to do, I didn't think they were doing a very good job. And I thought, well, I can do a better job than that. Mm-hmm. But it was terrifying for me to say, okay, well, then I'm going to do it. And I'm going to leave all the, the support systems behind and just jump. And that was really scary. Mm-hmm. Still a little scary. <laughs> <laughs> to sum up our time together in one sentence, please tell us, why are you vegan? I'm vegan because I love this planet and I love all the inhabitants of this planet and I want to see a world in peace and balance. Is there anything you'd like to discuss that hasn't been asked today? I talk about the gardens at the at the school and at our, our new place. Oh, I haven't talked about that either, which mm-hmm. is actually super important to me. We are now in escrow buying our own property. Woohoo! Um, <laughs> I know. I'm very excited. It's uh, 6.5 acres, and um, it's not going to be replacing the school because our, our business model is all about bringing farmed animal sanctuaries to the people who need them. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, people bring these videos to people and surprise people with horror f- videos. I want to bring sanctuaries to people and surprise people with how fabulous farmed animal sanctuaries are. Mm-hmm. So one of the reasons we're at a school is because when we've thought one of the one of the downfalls of most sanctuaries is that they're way too far away. The people who need the need to experience a farmed animal sanctuary aren't going to make the hour-long or two-hour-long drive to go see the sanctuary. So they just don't get there. So the, my whole reason for being, my niche is, okay, I'll bring the sanctuary to the people. And that's why we started at a school. Mm-hmm. Now, so that has a great benefit because they, the, the sanctuary is right there at the school. Is, the kids see the animals five days a week. They have science classes on the sanctuary. It does a fantastic job of being a farmed animal sanctuary mm-hmm. for people who'd never go there, who'd never venture out to one. The big problem is working at a school. There's tremendous restrictions on who can come on the farm, who, when they can come on the farm, how I can do fundraising. So we're going to have this wonderful 6.5 acre farm and it's really close. It's here in Chatsworth. So again, it's like within 15 minutes of 1.7 million people, all of whom can come and see these animals and meet them very conveniently. And it's a beautiful um, piece of ground. So very excited about that. Permaculture is going to be part of both both organizations and actually any any uh, farm that we work with. And permaculture is something that's I think is also really important and speaks and is, is tied into our whole advocacy uh, concept. And that is um, the way I explain it is the, the the European culture that that has been sort of imposed on the Americas is very much one of I will come, I will uh, I will 
dominate whatever is in front of me. I will I will erase everything and I will start with a clean slate and I will impose whatever it is I want on this land, on this property, on this culture, on this people, on this whatever. I come, I I destroy everything in front of me and then I create I what I want, like my my European customs, my European designs, my European whatever it is. So our dominant culture is one of if I see a new property, I basically flatten it. I take away all the trees. I take away all the rocks. I take away all the whatever. I dam up the waters and I create a blank slate. And then I decide what kind of buildings I want or what kind of farm I want. I till the soil. I, I put in buildings. I And then for the rest of time, I have to maintain that despite what nature wants to do. So I'm working against nature at all times because I'm imposing my will um, and my design on top of nature. And nature may or may not even have any interest in what I'm imposing. Mm -hmm. Um, So permaculture actually turns that whole thing on its head and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Number one, that's incredibly energy intensive because you have to spend a lot of time and energy first of all, killing everything in front of you and then erasing everything that's already there and then imposing your will and then maintaining your uh, what you've imposed. Rather, let's look at what nature wants to do anyways. Let's look at where the wind goes, how it goes, what kinds of rock formations or hills or trees or whatever and how they affect water and wind and sunshine already in what in what you come into. What is the what are the animals that are already there? What are the trees that are already there? Or the plants that are already there? Or the people that are already there? What is there that's natural and is already in balance and functioning? And then how can you work with all those natural forces to get done what you want to want you what you want done too? Mm-hmm. So if you want to come and live in a new place, Rather than just coming in and destroying everything in front of you, go in and just observe. Sit down and look at it and study it for a while and say, okay, well, the water wants to go here because there's a hill there and there's a rock there and there's some trees over there. And the wind tends to do this through this landscape. And that over there is really windy, but this over here is protected. And, you know, the animals, the animals tend to come in this pathway through here at this time of year. And this is what they want. They want these grasses or they want these fruits or they want what study it. And that, usually in permaculture it says study it for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can really see the full cycles of how everything works on that piece of space. And then once you know it, then say, OK, but I need to live here, too, or I need to have whatever does I need to have. How can I work with that to accomplish and have nature help me accomplish my goals. Um, so you're you're always figuring out, you know, and it's it's very creative because you need to work with what's already there and use physics and natural forces of gravity and heat and hunger and all kinds of other natural forces to help you get done what you want to get done. It's, mm-hmm. it's a whole fabulous way of looking at design, really. Thank you so much for taking time to speak with me at the crack of dawn. You have a great rest of your week and weekend and give all the the sentience hugs for us. And will we do. will see you in a few weeks. Wonderful. Thank you so much for letting me be one of your podcast people. And I look forward to seeing you and catching up. All right. Take care. All right. You too. We hope you've enjoyed this interview. 
Find out when the next episode of this enlightening and thought-provoking interview series is available by following Why We Are Vegan on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The ID for all three is Why We Are Vegan. We're also on YouTube and iTunes. You can visit our free resource site, whywearevegan.org, for podcasts you may have missed and links to all our social media. Take care.